Last Sunday, we had a wonderful Easter Sunday service, and, you know, you probably went home and uh, did some various Easter traditions, right? Maybe some of you have the tradition of eating the heads off of chocolate bunnies. You know, that, that's only me, you know. Eating as many peeps as you can, right? They have so many different flavors. And um, we all have various traditions, Easter traditions, right? Also, in, uh, I was reading in New Zealand, one of their um, Easter traditions is to make hot cross buns. That's interesting. Also, I read about in uh, Mexico on Saturday before Easter, they make large paper mache Judas Iscariots, and then they fill them with fireworks and blow them up. <laughs> now, I, I like, I think, yes, I think that's a tradition I'd like to start myself. Um, it sounds fun. I know Nathan's up for relating things on fire all the time, blowing things up. Yep. <laughs> That's his dad who testifies to Nathan's pyromania. Um, and, you know, all of these, you know, whether you gnaw off the heads of chocolate bunnies or blow up a, a paper mache Judas, these are all things that we kind of put it on, uh, traditions that we put onto the Easter celebration, and they're not really that important uh, compared to the actual resurrection, right? Trusting in that resurrection and what the, the meaning of the resurrection. And, and I think we all would acknowledge that, but yet we all tend to be somewhat self-centered. We, we start elevating our traditions, our practices, as if they're as foundational, as important as, as God's word, as, as the thing itself. And that's not just in the realm of Easter, it's in the realm of all sorts of religious practices. And today's reading, Tom read, uh, Jesus, he upsets the religious leaders of his day because he doesn't follow their traditions. And instead, he claims that he is greater than their traditions, and that even some of the spiritual commands find fulfillment in him. And so this should cause each one of us today to ask ourselves, wait, is Jesus greater than my traditions? Now, the scripture's been read, but I want to give you some context because we've, we're going back to Matthew 12, where we're going through our, our sermon series on a story, through Matthew, a story greater than your own and we took a little break for the, uh, Holy Week, but now we get back to chapter 12, and the context is despite Jesus doing many miracles and inviting all sorts of people to repent and find rest in him, many refuse to turn to Christ. And not only that, but the religious leaders, they start to increase their opposition. And in this case, they, they start opposing him because of what he is doing on the Sabbath. Now, what is the Sabbath? Sabbath is one of the, of the big 10, right? Made the top 10 list. You shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You shall do no work on the Sabbath. I think we've got a slide that kind of talks about where that is in Exodus. And the Sabbath is a day to rest and to connect with God, right? To set apart, to make it holy, to set the day apart, to get close to God. Now, the Sabbath was one of the, of the Jewish distinctives that uh, none of the Romans, none of the Gentiles set aside a day like that. The other were dietary laws. They ate different food and circumcision. 
But as with many things, there are the biblical commands, because the Sabbath's a biblical instruction, but then there's the various traditions we put upon those things. And that's what happens here. In Matthew 12, verse 1, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields with his disciples, verse 1, and they began to pluck the heads of the grain and eat. And the Pharisees saw it, and they said, Look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only the priests? Or, so let me unpack that for a second. Here, Jesus is referring to First uh, Samuel chapter 21 in the Old Testament, where the uh, David, King David, who the Messiah was, was, was to come from King David, and that's why the Messiah is often called son of David. The king of David, King David, he was running from Saul, and he, was, he and his people were starving. And so starving to the point where Saul might catch him and, and, and kill him. And so he went to the temple and he asked the priest, do you have any food? And the, the priest said, I don't have any food except the bread of the presence. This was the special bread that was put before the Lord. And because it was for the, put before the Lord, only the priest could eat it. And yet the priest gave David and his men this bread and they ate it. And good thing, because if David died, where would the Messiah have come from? So anyways, then Jesus continues, verse 5, Or have you not read in the law, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Wow, that's interesting here. So now, Jesus gives another example. Another example by pointing to the priests and the priests, how they profane the Sabbath. What does he mean by that? Well, they do work on the Sabbath, meaning that people will bring them sacrifices, animals, and they'll slaughter the animals and then prepare them. And if you've ever slaughtered and prepared an animal, you know that is a lot of work. So Jesus is saying, well, the priests, they do work on the Sabbath, but they're guiltless. Now, why are they guiltless? Well, because they're doing this for the Lord. That's a part of their service to the Lord. And so it's okay. But notice now what Jesus does. He makes a radical comparison. He then goes from that to say, but one greater than the temple is here. So if the priest can do ministry in the temple on the Sabbath, Jesus' disciples can do things on the Sabbath because Something greater than the temple is here. Again, that is mind-blowing. I mean, the temple, the temple is the center of Israel. The, the temple was the place that God was said to dwell, his presence. That's why you brought sacrifices there. That's why when you prayed, you pointed towards that place. And now Jesus is saying something greater than the temple is here. That is radical. And because something greater than the temple is here... That changes, right? That if the disciples are serving the Lord, serving the temple, or one greater than the temple, then they are guiltless. But he, then he says in verse 8, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is a reference to the Messiah. Son of Man, Son of David was the Messiah who was to come. 
Jesus is the Christ. And if he has authority over these biblical institutions, the temple, and practices the Sabbath, then I think he has authority over your traditions. Right? That's, that's really the point here that Jesus is making. And this also suggests that all of these things, the temple, Sabbath, all of that, finds fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And they no longer need to be observed according to the law, but according to the new covenant and the new kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. But Jesus, he, 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 he goes further, too. He, in verse 7, he says, And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So there he quotes Hosea 6, chapter 6, where it is God who's talking to the people of Israel who are saying, oh, we sacrifice and we do all of these things. We follow your commands. And, and God is saying to them, wait a minute, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire that you understand my mercy, that your heart is full of mercy and love for others. Not that you just do some rituals. And, and people, we gravitate towards law versus the love undergirding the law. What I mean by that, it's easier to check a list of behaviors. Like, oh, did I make a sacrifice? Oh, I did, check. Did I observe the Sabbath by um, doing these various things? Okay, check. It's easier to check those things than to check our hearts and say, wait, is my heart full of mercy? Are these activities, these rituals I'm doing, are they flowing from a heart of love and mercy? Or is it just a checklist? So when that happens, is when what the Pharisees were doing, then they, they raise up certain behaviors as a measure of someone's spirituality instead of God's after the heart. So tradition has their heart. God's mercy doesn't have their heart. And that's the issue here. And then that's illustrated with this next Sabbath encounter in verse 9. Because Matthew, the gospel writer, he puts two of these episodes together. And in verse 9, it says Jesus goes on and enters the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand. And they, and this is the Pharisees, they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And Jesus said to them, which one of you has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the others. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So instead of heeding Jesus' words from the previous episode that God is more concerned with mercy than sacrifice, here the religious leaders show that, yeah, they don't care about God's mercy because they say, oh, here's, here's a guy, Jesus, you know, Jesus, here's this guy, he's got a withered hand, and they're in the, in the synagogue, and they point him out not to say, hey, Jesus, will you hear him? He's, heal him, he's suffering. They point him out because they don't want Jesus to heal him. They want to accuse him and say, Jesus, it's not, you know it's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath. But that's not true. They're trying to set Jesus up. They confirm that, no, it's, th their, their mind is on their traditions. Their mind is not on the mercy of God. Because they assume 
that it's not lawful to heal because um, this guy, he's got a withered hand. And so according to their traditions, that his life is not in danger, right? Because he's had the withered hand for a while. So that he shouldn't be healed on the Sabbath because that's kind of like working. So he should come back another day because his life isn't in danger. That was their tradition that they made. Again, not concerned about the suffering this man has gone through, more concerned with following the tradition. And so once again, Jesus goes to the Hebrew scriptures that the religious leaders claim to follow, and he points out that both the scriptures and actually their traditions allow that if a sheep falls into a pit, that it's okay to save that sheep. Right? You look at Deuteronomy 22.4. That can be some homework, right? You can look that up. And so Jesus is pointing out their inconsistency because they can have, their traditions say, oh, you can have mercy on this animal that's suffering, but not a person? Who's more valuable? See, the Sabbath, it's not a ritual. It's a gift for people to rest and get in touch with God's presence and his ways to do good on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus says. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And note their reaction. Instead of rejoicing that a suffering man is, has been healed by the power of God, it says they go away angry because Jesus didn't follow their traditions, didn't follow their ways. So they were judging God instead of joining him. And that's what was going on. Jesus, God in the flesh, the son of God, they were judging him instead of joining him. When they saw what he was doing, when they heard his words, it was an invitation for them to enter into the kingdom, just like Jesus had been telling everyone else. But instead they judge him instead of join him. And note in verse 15 and 20 through 21, I'm not going to go into those um, very deeply, but Jesus, it says he, he withdraws. He withdraws from them rather than give the religious leaders an opportunity for more opposition to kill him, all of that stuff, because his time had not yet come. And his revolution was one of gentle self-sacrifice. And that's why Matthew here quotes Isaiah 42, 1 through 3, that Jesus withdrawing from opposition for a time, instead of fighting, um, it actually fulfills scripture. That there would come a time when Jesus would ride into Jerusalem uh, and cleanse the temple, right? Palm Sunday, what we observed a couple weeks ago. But not yet, not yet. So what do we learn from this episode, this confrontation between Jesus and, and these religious leaders? I think it's important to recognize that we all have traditions. We all have standard practices that we follow. Some of our traditions are passed down from our families. Some are passed down from our, in our culture. And others, we develop ourselves. And really, it only takes a couple years of doing something, and it's a tradition. Right? It might not be a tradition with a long history, but if you keep doing something pretty soon, it's, it's like a tradition for, um, for you. And so, for instance, when Wendy and I were first married, we had, you know, we were raised and stuff. We had the tradition of, all right, on your anniversary, you give a card, you give some flowers, you give a gift. 
But both of us, we're not really like gift givers or receivers. We really enjoy spending time with one another. So after a few years of following that tradition, we're like, that tradition really doesn't help our marriage. Are we, are we trying to serve the tradition or should the tradition serve our marriage? And so now our tradition is that we take the money we would have spent in gifts and go on a trip together. And that's why every July, like, oh, Pastor Joe goes on vacation. Well, that's why, right? <laughs> because it's, again, what is, what's the foundation? What's the important thing? What, is it the tradition or is it the marriage? No, no, it's the marriage. So the marriage shouldn't serve the tradition. The tradition should serve the marriage. And so it's very quickly traditions can develop. Likewise, with religious traditions, are they, are the traditions being served or are they serving God and his people? Again, traditions aren't bad. The question for the religious leaders of Jesus' day and the question for us today is, is Jesus greater than our traditions? Because if Jesus is Lord of the temple and Lord of the Sabbath, then he has authority over it all. And we have to have this heart of, Lord, does this tradition, does this standard practice in my life, in our church's life, does it glorify you? Does it cause people to follow you? Again, with everything we ask, are we serving the tradition or are we serving the Lord? Because the Lord's greater than, than all our practices, all of our preferences, every tradition we have. The Lord is the Lord of all. Now, I know a lot of us will say, oh, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. But our default is often to assume that my standard practices are the best, right? That they're to be preferred, they're to be the norm. And that's why, that's what the religious leaders of Jesus' day thought. They, they said, you know, these traditions, we've developed them over centuries, and they were developed to help people follow God. And so they assumed that their way was the most godly way, the most spiritual way. And yet, what do we see? That their traditions actually hindered them from receiving Jesus Christ. That they, their traditions caused them to judge God instead of join God. Jesus is greater than our church traditions and our personal traditions as well. Let's look at those two things, church traditions. Every Christian group has traditions. Now, some just have a longer history than others. Now, as Baptists, we come from Protestants, right? That's our, our history, is we're Protestants. What does that mean? Well, we were, we were protest ants um, that, <laughs> that we protested the traditions of the Catholic Church that were built up, and Martin Luther, you know, he, he, he led the way in the Reformation, that some of the practices of the Catholic Church, the traditions were actually hindering people from truly following God. So as Protestants, right, this is a part of our DNA that there's certain, um, there's, there's traditions and everyone has them, but the important thing is, is it, is it, does it cause us to get closer to God? Does this tradition help us draw closer to God? Now, we Protestants, we have our traditions too, but they're secondary, uh, they can be changed in service to Christ in this church, or at least that's how it's supposed to be. If we're truly a church of the Reformation, a Protestant church. But the reality is every Protestant group has their own traditions, and every tradition has its own strengths and weaknesses. And again, it only takes a few years to develop a religious tradition. 
I've been serving churches for a while, and they're all Protestant churches, uh, but what I've noticed is that, you know, a lot of churches have, well, they used to have a traditional service and a contemporary service. But you know what happens in a few years? That contemporary service has just as much traditions as the traditional service. They're just different. Is that, oh, you know, this is what, we've been doing this for a few years now. This is how we do it. Well, isn't that, I thought this was a contemporary service. Well, no, it's actually a service from, yeah, 1990 instead of 1950. <laughs> but it's still based on a certain set of traditions. The question is, so some traditions are good, some are not so good. And the question is, does it serve God? And different traditions this doesn't mean we just throw out traditions. All right, so we're Protestants, so we always get rid of traditions, get rid of traditions. No, it also means, yes, we get rid of some traditions, but other traditions from other places, if they're helpful, if they cause us to glorify God, we can pick those up and say, that's a good tradition. That's a more biblical tradition. So I'm going to remove this one that's not so biblical, and I'm going to receive this other tradition. You know, so for instance, uh, you know, Peter and I sometimes talk about Korean-style prayer. What do we mean by that? Well, that, you know, Peter grew up in Texas, and Texas has its own traditions, but also he's been serving in other Korean churches and whatnot. And one of the things about the, the, the church, the um, Korean church, is that they have a tradition that really generally respects prayer, is that in Korean church, when you call for a prayer service, everyone comes and everyone prays and they pray fervently and they pray all night. That is a biblical tradition. Now, our tradition in, at Second Baptist, what has it been? We call a prayer service, half a dozen people show up. So which tradition is more biblical? It's, it's the, the, the Korean church and their emphasis on prayer. You see, the point is, is that when we look at different traditions, it's not that we just get rid of things. Sometimes we say, wait a minute, this denomination or this people group, they've got a better hold on a biblical theology and practice. So why don't we incorporate that? So again, it's not just about getting rid of traditions. It's about what incorporating them or how about this in the western evangelical church parts that, that's been a part of the church growth movement that's me our tradition is to measure success to measure the success of a church on sunday attendance right that's our tradition well is your church successful how many are attending on sunday well the biblical tradition, what, is, what did Jesus do? How did he build up his kingdom? Well, he grew disciples. He grew them, raised them up, and then sent them out. So his, the measure of biblical success is how many people are you raising up and sending out with the gospel? Not how many people are you gathering on a Sunday, but how many people are you raising up and sending out to impact your community? But again, oh, that's not our tradition. Again, when I'm, I'm saying that, oh, wait, that's a tradition that really popped off in the 1990s. So there are some good things about that tradition. As in, in, in other words, it's a, it was a focus on how can we connect with people. 
But the bad part of that tradition is then we started building this idea that what is church? It's when we gather together on a Sunday morning and hear some guy talk for a while, hear some good music. That's not the biblical church. So again, are we questioning our traditions? Because, you know, here at Second Baptist Church, we have this, this slogan that we say, at Second Baptist, Christ is first. That Christ is bigger than our traditions. He's greater than our traditions. And so that whatever tradition we have, it's submitted to Christ and his purposes. So that when we're thinking about what should we do as a church, how should we move forward, we can't say, well, Whatever we've always done, that's what we should do moving forward. No, I don't know. Maybe some of it we keep. Maybe we, some of it don't. That's the wrong answer. The answer isn't we, don't, we just do what we've always done. The answer is we do those things that glorify Christ, that show him to be Lord of the Sabbath. And this is urgent, I think, for Second Baptist Church, because we've finally gone through this process of you know, leadership transition a few years ago through COVID, and where we've stabilized, we're growing again, and we can't do everything. We can't do 100 things only an inch deep. Instead, we should do a few things really well. Problem with that is, well, if you're only gonna do a few things well, that means certain things have to go. But wait, it's, it's our tradition. We've done it for two years. We, we, we can't stop it now. But those are the hard choices that we have to make because we want to serve the Lord. But now let's move to the individual level because each one of us as an individual, so we're talking church stuff, but each one of us as an individual, you have standard practices. You have traditions in your personal life. Right? That, that some of them have been passed down from your family. Some of them have been passed down uh, from your culture. Others you've developed yourself as, as a family. Well, one greater than your traditions is here. It is the Lord. And what traditions? We have to ask this as a church, but also as an individual. What traditions do you need to give up? Because they're not helping you in your walk with God. And what traditions do you need to take up because they would help you with the Lord you know an example of this is when I was um, in India in January I was talking with some of the brothers there and they're brought up and their culture teaches them that men do not do housework they don't do it that's the wife's thing and that if you'll be made fun of if as a man you start sweeping and helping your wife because that's not how it's supposed to be well the, the, the brothers there, they're countercultural. They, they reject that tradition, and they actually cause both women and men to look at them funny because they'll help their wives out with some of the housework. Why? Because, yes. <laughs> it, yeah. Because, because Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. So they say, wait, what's a very practical way that I can serve my wife and love my wife? Well, I can help her, even though all of the neighbors, the non-Christian neighbors are saying, what are you, crazy? Why do you do that? So it doesn't matter that their tradition from family, their tradition from culture is don't do that. They see in this a way to follow the Lord. 
being counter-traditional serves Christ in the gospel. And so I ask you, friend, are there certain traditions that you're serving instead of allowing these traditions to serve you in your Christian walk? Maybe you were raised in a family that the tradition is to idolize wealth, that this is what life is about, is, is getting lots of stuff. Or maybe you come from a family that emphasizes a certain standard of beauty or independence. Whatever it is, Jesus is Lord. That we take all of our traditions, personal, cultural, all of that, and say, Lord, you're the Lord of them all. You are Lord of every tongue, tribe, and nation, every family. So which one of these traditions must I drop because they're not helping me in my walk with you? They're not healthy. But which ones do I take up because they help me draw closer to the Lord? Again, what habits have you gotten into? What's your standard practice? Maybe it's after work, you get home, you just rot your brain on watching TikToks or YouTube shorts. And before you know it, you've spent an hour or two just thumbing through videos and although that's not a tradition, it's your, become your standard practice. It's not healthy. It's not beneficial to you. Is Jesus Lord of that? Or how about this one? You do good on the Sabbath. The, the, the actual presenting problem here was the Sabbath. How do we treat the Sabbath? In our culture, well, it's, we, we, um, if, if the Pharisees were like, oh, these are all the things you need to do on the Sabbath, our culture has gone the other way, and the Sabbath is really about watching football or doing anything that you enjoy. So if you happen to enjoy church, sure, come to church. But if you enjoy football more, stay home and watch football. The Sabbath turns into not something that we set apart for God, but something we set apart for ourselves. This is my day. If I like church, I'll go to it. If, you know, but no, it's about serving God. What brings us closer to God? The, and, and the other instance, too, and, oh, well, what if I, you know, I'm going on a retreat to go to somebody's, you know, to, to really connect with the Lord, and so I don't show up on church on Sunday? Well, that's fine. You're trying to get closer to the Lord. The Sabbath is about getting, setting apart time to connect with the Lord. But again, what do our traditions say? What do our traditions say it's about? So, my friends, do not serve your tradition. Do not serve your standard practices. Serve the Lord and create standard practices, create traditions, follow those things that help you to do that. And so, as a church, as individuals, I want us to go to this, this time and, and pray, Lord, what do I need to give up? What tradition, what way of thinking do I need to give up? Again, maybe it's from your family, maybe it's from your culture, I don't know. But then say, and then Lord, what, what new standard practice do I need to take up so I can live out your truth? That when God, when you're doing something, I'm going to join you instead of judge it. So let's take this time and go to the Lord in prayer. And as we sing our final song, let it be a time of commitment. Again, Lord, what can I give up? What tradition do I need to give up? What do I need to take up? We, we're going to pray this as a church, but also pray this as an individual as well. See what God says. Let's pray. Dear God, we do come before you. And we open our hands. 
Lord, we pray that you would show us what do we need to give up, what traditions, what ways of thinking are we following instead of following you. Lord, we lift those up to you. We give these things up to you. But Lord, we also pray that you'd show us what to take up. What traditions, what standard practices must we take up so that we can follow you and that join you in your work to do good on the Sabbath? Lord, we pray that as a church, Lord, Second Baptist Church, that we would be a church that you are number one. Lord, that we wouldn't just assume that our practices are the best practices, that our traditions are to be followed, but rather, Lord, we would assume that you are the Lord of the temple, you are the Lord of the Sabbath, and that you are Lord of all, and we would follow you. But Holy Spirit, move in this place too. Each one of us as an individual, there are things that we do, traditions that we follow, and Lord, they are not healthy spiritually or anything. So show these things, Lord, so that we would give them up to you, and show us what we need to take on. Do that in this time. Speak to us as we sing this song. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.